0: All right, I am of the uh, persuasion um, that if you are not here yet, you're not going to be here. Can we start? It's like a minute early. I feel like we're all here. All in favor of starting now? Okay, let's go. That's unfair. What are the people that aren't going to? I'm just thinking through that. Like, they can't even vote. Whatever. They miss out. Guys, I'm so grateful to be here this morning with you. I would love to just start us off just by praying, asking the Lord to be present with us. So let me pray. Father, This topic is not just something to study so that we can know more and do nothing with it. It's a topic that I know that you want us to comprehend more so that we can live different. So would you please empower us through this time to know your word better? You've spoken on these things. How to answer those who are opposed, how to answer those who have questions, how to answer the unbeliever. Lord, even those of us in this room that are struggling with unbelief, Lord, would you just minister to each and every single one of us where we need it most by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Guys, I'm so pumped up to talk about this topic um, in part because it's terrifying for me to dive into sharing my faith with somebody who doesn't know the Lord or somebody that I know I need to talk to about Jesus and yet... There's a risk, right? There's a high cost of starting the conversation. And so I don't come in here this morning looking at all of you saying, "Dude, I got I got it. Like I figured it out. I don't struggle with fear of what other people might say, do or think about me as I bring up Jesus to them." I still struggle with it to this day and I've been walking with the Lord now for 20 years. And so I just want to say I'm grateful that you're here. I'm thankful to dive into this. And I think that just by way of introduction, Uh, I want to make sure that we kind of work through some content together. Um, Scripture is our anchor. I want you to leave more confident in the scriptures than you do in anything else that you hear today. The word of God has the power that we're all after. And so if I can do that, I think I've I've done my job well. And then we're going to try and open up about the last 10 minutes or so for questions that you might have. Um, my daughter's going to be running around with a microphone. If you have a question, we'd love to get you on the mic asking it. That'll be the last 10 minutes or so of our time together. Cool? So working definition. What are we talking about when we're talking about this topic of Christian apologetics? This working definition comes from a godly pastor that I really respect named Vodi Bacham, and he says it this way. Apologetics is merely knowing what we believe, knowing why we believe it, And being able to communicate that to others effectively. Knowing what we believe, why we believe it, and being able to communicate that to others effectively. And I would add, winsomely, with humility, with tact, with these qualities that we desperately need in order to win the person. Because here's the deal, Um, a lot of my... uh, my high school guy friends maybe in the room today um, can, can express uh, maybe some overconfidence in life in general. Girls, can I get an amen to that? Um, but when it comes to being equipped with some truths from God's word that are powerful, that can allow you to win an argument, all of a sudden that's kind of a, a dangerous concoction of potential arrogance. So we're not looking to win an argument. We're looking to win a person. We're we're looking to win a soul. The proverb says that he who wins souls is wise. And so that's what we're after in this topic of apologetics. Apologetics um, comes from the Bible. The Bible commands us to do apologetics, and it tells us how to do it. Apologetics is a Greek word that is apologia. It literally means to defend the faith. Um, It's a legal term to present evidence for the validation of the point that you're bringing across. So apologetics, the Bible commands us to do it, and it tells us how to do it. The Christian worldview is a biblical worldview, and the command to defend the Bible comes from the Bible itself. Therefore, the Bible commands us to do apologetics, and it tells us how to do it, okay? This topic of how to share your faith with an unbeliever, um, this isn't for like this SEAL Team 6 of Christians sometimes we think man getting out there sharing your faith whether it's with family friend coworker, neighbor classmate uh total stranger that's what like the upper echelon of Christians who know way more than I do that's what they do and yet the Bible actually teaches us that this is for each of us if we have a story of how Jesus impacted us we get to share it what do we call those testimonies We get to testify the validation of the Christian, the biblical worldview as being true because Jesus is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we talk about the scriptural priority being 1 Peter 3.15. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says it this way, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now, as you look at this verse, we're talking about apologetics. The first thing that can be highlighted here is literally the Greek says apologia right here for defense. That word is translated apology. Make a defense. Defend your position. Um, It looks like that might be the priority, according to this verse. But it's important, it's crucial to know what becomes, or what comes, rather, before that command. It's this reality that we are to sanctify Christ as Lord. One pastor, Eli Ayala, says it this way, everything we do, everything we reason about, is dictated by Christ's lordship. Because Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us that. Jesus tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a present reality from the time that he dwelt on the earth to the time that he's returning in glory. He is in uh, control. He is king of kings, lord of lords. There is no government that's greater. There's no thought um, school of thought out there. There's no scientific community out there that is greater than him, that knows more than him. He is um, the very substance of truth. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what Colossians 2 verse 3 says. We are to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. We're to recognize his sovereign lordship as we enter into conversations. Because Jesus is Lord, because he's already the king, and he's the king that's going to return, I need to warn people who are living rebelliously against his lordship now that means i got to be ready to talk to unbelievers and there's going to be a number of ways that that unbelief manifests itself so we look through this verse make a defense in light of who christ is as lord and yet do it with gentleness and reverence another word for that is respect that's unfortunately often what christians are not known for that maybe are a little bit more fiery they're a little bit more um, uh, kind of rough around the edges and that's okay to be that way it's just a matter of making sure that Jesus and his word and his lordship is really uh, smoothing out those rough edges that all of us come to the conversations with and we do that with gentleness and reverence And so maybe some of the objections that you're walking in here having experienced in your life are similar to some of these I don't believe the bible so you keep using the bible I don't believe that Anyone heard that excuse before? Uh, Wasn't the Bible just made up to control people? Anyone hear that one? God's just a fairy tale. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Anyone hear that? That's a popular one. Now, the funny thing is that the word science is, is, is literally knowledge. Science means knowledge. And so a good question to ask a person who makes these statements is how did you come to that conclusion? Because when you just ask them the question, you're putting the onus back on them to defend their position. You're putting them in the seat of giving an apology, uh, an apologia for their position. What you're going to find, what I found by experience is eight times, nine times out of ten, the person that I, that I put that onus on is kind of speechless, like that. And they try to change the subject. Keep them on the subject. Keep them on the topic. When they make a bold claim, hold them to it and ask them to defend their position. What happens when you see them kind of squirm and and try to get out of it um, is that typically you see that people just love to say statements they've heard without thinking critically through them. So it's easy to repeat and regurgitate statements that kind of help to justify a lifestyle away from Jesus as Lord. Does that make sense? So when I can justify that I'm just an evolved meat machine, like evolution teaches, that time and chance acting on matter creates us, and so therefore because God doesn't exist as the atheist, uh, I'm free to do whatever I want because ultimately I am God, right? That's how they live. That's how they want to keep justifying their life. You get to turn it back on themselves and say, look, do you really believe that time and chance acting on matter created the complexity of life? I was having a conversation with an atheist the other week at a a local business I'm allowed to go into kind of as a pastor, um, just like a chaplain almost. And I'm walking up to this guy. Let's call him Scott. Scott and I are having this conversation and I had a previous conversation with him months earlier and he let me know that he's an atheist. And so I just asked Scott, I'm like, so, Any progression in where you're at, like belief-wise from the last conversation we had? He's like, no, I'm an atheist, you know, and I don't believe these things. Um, I think they're kind of, you know, made up. I'm like, look, the very reality of us having a conversation right now, being able to understand intelligibly one another's conversation, looking at you in the eyes and being able to understand what's going on. You're telling me that time and chance acting on matter randomly created this. I said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, which is always fun to say, you know, if you can say it and make them kind of, wait, what? Put them on the defense for their position. At one point, I looked at Scott and said, look, when I look at the Bible, I realize that before long I read it and I realize that God already made each of us to know that he exists so that we're without excuse. And I looked at him in the eyes and said, look, the, the problem is that all of us, myself included, don't want to submit to God because we want to be God. And that's the problem. And he looks at me and kind of gives this, huh. I don't know what the huh was, but I know that it stopped him in his tracks and made him think a little bit more. And so sometimes the conversation can just be right there and end there. And you're putting what um, one... Uh, apologist says, a pebble in their shoe. You, you ever have a pebble in your shoe, right? It's kind of annoying, it's there, but you can't really get rid of it until you, you know take your shoe off or whatever. When we as Christians kind of put that pebble in their metaphorical shoe, uh, it sticks with them. I remember having a conversation with a guy uh, back in 2006, and I shared the, the gospel with him. And after sharing the gospel with him, he looks at me and says, man, 1992, 1997, and now here in 2006. Those are the times that people have asked me the similar question that you're asking me about Jesus. I'm like, no way. Like, that type of an impact was made upon you by people just loving you enough to share the truth with you? That's powerful. And oftentimes, we kind of get caught up thinking, oh, i got to have good questions or good answers to all these things. You just need to know your Bible well, Okay? A good question to ask in addition to how did you come to that conclusion? You don't believe, who who told you that? Why do you believe that? That's a good question to ask. A second good question to ask when you see them squirm uh, is this. And Frank Turek asks this question a lot. He's a great apologist to follow. Um, he comes to college campuses and, and interacts with a lot of uh, unbelievers and it's, it's fantastic. We had him at Fresno State a couple years back. He says this, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? You ask that question to the person that's resistant to Jesus, and if there's any level of hesitation in their response, then you know that it's not an evidence issue. It's a moral issue. I don't want to submit to Jesus because I like my sin. That's the bottom line. That's what God reveals to us. Look at this verse. This is the key text uh, along with First Peter three fifteen that we need to have to build confidence as Christians as we're going into conversation with those who profess unbelief, who say, I, I think God's a fairy tale. I, I don't believe in God. Romans one eighteen through twenty-one is a section of God's word that gives us universal insight into the condition of mankind. When we come across unbelievers. We don't need to sit there for hours and try to convince them that God exists because he already made it evident to them. Look at these underlined phrases to see what I mean. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. That's another word. It's revealed. It's been known from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's not a It's not a matter of more revelation. I just need to find more evidence in in order to believe in God. It's a matter of suppressing the truth that already is theirs. That's the issue. By unrighteousness, by our sinfulness. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. So a good question to get to in a conversation with an unbeliever who says, I just need more evidence, is what further evidence can the God who gave you enough evidence about himself give you in order for you to believe? And if they tried to start articulating it, they didn't hear the question. Because God has clearly given enough evidence to every single person on the planet that he exists. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So that they are without excuse. If the unbeliever, the atheist, the agnostic says to you till they're blue in the face, I don't believe God exists, you don't have to sit there and try to walk down that trail that they're trying to take you down. That's a waste of time. Because at the end of the day, we're kind of engaging, anytime we talk about faith, we're engaging in worldview conflicts, The Christian worldview or philosophy of life and the non-Christian worldview or unbelieving philosophy of life. Someone may say, I don't believe God exists or the Bible is a myth. It's here where we typically experience the worldview conflict. Our goal is to engage with the unbeliever in an effective way. We're kind of caught here in a corner though. When somebody says, I don't believe God exists, I believe the Bible is a myth. Do we believe what the unbeliever says about him or herself? Or do we believe what God has said about the unbeliever? That's the quandary that each of us has to deal with. And for me, as a Christian, knowing the truthfulness and the validity of the word of God, and I'm going to take God 10 out of 10 times over the words that are coming out of the mouth of a fellow sinner that needs grace in their life, right? Now, I'm not necessarily going to come right out and say you liar, you nope. That's not necessarily tactful, but to get around that in so many words can be effective. And so, uh, a lot of times when we come to this discussion about you know somebody coming up to us and saying, oh man, the Bible's a myth. Don't, no, no, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. So stop quoting the Bible. I've gotten in plenty of conversations like that. The temptation for the Christian. Is to say, oh, you don't believe in the Bible? All right, well, I guess I got to put it away then because you don't believe in it. That would be like imagine two knights ready to battle. Okay, the first knight comes up to the second knight and removes his sword from his sheath and is about to attack when the second knight looks at him and says, "I don't believe in thine sword." Now, the first knight has two options. That's my best old school English impersonation, whatever. The first knight has two options. Either he's going to, with a confused look on his face, take his sword and put it back in its sheath, and then start arguing very eloquently about the dangers of swords and how they exist and why you should believe in the danger of the sword. He could do that. Or he could actually do what? right? Let the sword do its job and win the fight. That professed unbeliever in the power of the sword will know very quickly that swords are real, powerful. They exist. They're undeniable, right? As Christians, we get caught up a lot thinking, oh, well, God's word says about itself that it's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God, Ephesians 6 tells us. And an unbeliever will come across and say, no, no, put down your weapon. And we'll heed to them and say, okay, Now let's just talk, maybe just person to person, as though neutrality was an option. There is no neutrality. You're either with him or you're against him, Jesus says. So we got to dismiss this idea that neutrality exists because Jesus said that it doesn't. You're either for him or you're against him. For the unbeliever, we know that they're against the things of God because they love their sin. And so did I before Jesus changed my heart. And so... I take the word of God and use it skillfully. I use it as I spend time in it with wisdom. God, would you give me love for this person? Because Hebrews 4 tells tells us, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide uh, both both joints and marrow, um, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so it's powerful. I kind of butchered that, but Hebrews 4.12, you can read it on your own. The word of God is powerful. And when we use it effectively and winsomely, we're able to see God cut through all the excuses and get right to the heart. That's why when you see in the book of Acts, when the apostles were preaching the gospel, the people that were responsible to put Jesus up on the cross, it says what? They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they said, brothers, what do we do? And Peter says, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And that day there was 3,000 added to their number. That's beautiful. And that's the type of confidence we can have with using the sword of God's spirit wisely and faithfully. There's also this trust, this confidence. I have to trust in the truth of God's word about the work of the Holy Spirit convicting people as I share the gospel with them. I can't see it happening, but I can see the effects of the spirit moving in a person's life at times. So God's word gives us confidence. John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus reveals the work of the Holy Spirit who's going to come for Christians, for those who repent and trust Jesus. It says this, and he, referencing the Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So Christian student in here today, You have the ability to confidently share the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us the power of the gospel um, is evident. It's clear that um, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's power in explaining God sent his son to die on the cross brutally in order for our sins to be forgiven against God. He was buried. He rose back from the grave. Three days later, like he promised, to forgive sinners. I've embraced Jesus because I know I'm sick. I know I'm a sinner. And so I want to invite you. What are you going to decide about Jesus? Right? It's questions like that. It's starting the conversation. And knowing that behind the scenes, there's a, a power of God himself that's at work in the person's life. I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago, and at one point, sharing the gospel, just getting into it, correcting levels of unbelief and objections that he's been brought up with, bringing it in line with the sword of the Spirit of God's word. All of a sudden, he, he like, like bends down, and he's like, oh! I'm like, what is he doing? Is he gonna kill me? And he gets up, and he looks at me with a smile on his face. He's like, this is so good. I haven't heard these things before. I've heard different stories in the Bible, but this makes sense. It seems like all these things in my life are aligning. And, oh, it's crazy. He's like, I want to get baptized. I want to try that out. I'm like, well, I'm thinking in my mind, you don't really try it out. It's like all in. But that was another conversation I got to have with him a couple days later. But the point is, is that I got to see visibly the spirit of God who was invisible doing a work in a person's life by simply proclaiming the truth of God's word confidently with humility and dependence on the Lord. I'm going to go to this next one because I want to have time to uh, have questions and answers answered. Um, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the beginning of knowledge. To know anything at all, you have to start with the fear of the Lord. We have to start recognizing God is in control. He is the designer. I am in subjection to what he commands. So what is it? And we start reading this book like, like it's our life source because it is. And that begins this process of actually knowing things. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The unbeliever ultimately, biblically, is designated as a fool. Now, we don't say that to make fun of the unbeliever. But the unbeliever's darkened understanding about reality as revealed by God is that he can't even understand it because he's chosen to turn away from that knowledge of God. It just is kind of a downward spiral into greater degrees of foolishness and darkness. Colossians 2.3, I quoted it earlier, unless we come to know Christ, we cannot attain any wisdom or knowledge in the ultimate sense. This is what God's word says, and my hope is that you're encouraged and challenged. And here's the deal. Many of you guys coming in here today are Christians. Many of you maybe are just checking things out. You're like, hey, I'm coming up like the guy that I talked to last week in this room. He started answering a question that I was talking to after the session with a girl who was saying, hey, what do I say to my atheist friend? And this kid said, well, I'm an atheist, and maybe you should think about asking this because this is what I'm wrestling through. And I was like, man, thank you so much for just being honest where you're at. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And we got to talk, and he's talking to me. He's asking me what do I do? Like, I'm trying to figure this thing out. We had a great conversation. But sometimes in Christian circles and in youth groups, it's hard to even ask the questions that you're doubting and struggling with and wrestling with. Let me show you a quick article. This article came out in Christianity Today back in April of 2019. And it says that over 70% of church-going high schoolers report having serious doubts about faith. Sadly, less than half of those young people shared their doubts and struggles with an adult or friend. Yet, these student opportunities to express and explore their doubts were actually correlated with greater faith maturity. In other words, it's not doubt that's toxic to faith, it's silence. That is huge. And if you're in here today feeling like you just can't share the doubt, the fear, the uncertainty that you have, you have leaders in your life. I used to be a leader in high school ministry, and I loved having honest conversations about the difficult topics, the most difficult topics. So leaders, you're welcome. <laughs> but hopefully it's going to be a faith expression, a journey of digging into the truth that Jesus says will set you free as you just dig deeper. And so, here's the deal. Romans ten 17, I'm going to end here. It says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. At the end of the day, the most strength we can experience in building a faith that lasts is to immerse ourselves in the book. Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know where he said that? He said that in the wilderness when he was being tempted to disbelieve God by the enemy. Did God really say? Are you really Christian? Is that real? I mean, do you really believe that? Do you believe that God really made, you know, male and female? Do you get do you really believe? All these questions are just being fired at us constantly in a culture that is against God. And our hope is that you're prepared with a firm confidence in what God said because he's trustworthy and he's true. Amen? All right. I wanted to open up to questions. We only have a few minutes left. So open-ended questions, whatever you guys have. Uh, If you have one, raise your hand up. Hannah will come over and uh, get you the mic. And I also, as you're getting the mic to her, uh, I also have these magazines. My buddy and I go to college campuses, share the gospel with people. It's a great place to just open dialogue with people that are waiting around for classes. We'll give them these magazines if they're interested. It's just all the quick, like, hot-button issues and most uh, common objections to Christianity um, in a succinct way. So we got a stack of these up here if you're interested. Yes, what's your question? So um, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, like, we see that he – is with the prostitutes he's with the tax collectors those are the people that are drawn to him and it's like the religious pharisees that are appalled by him so if we ourselves want to live in the way of jesus with the heart of jesus we would be doing the same right um but how do we navigate that tension of influencing these these unbelievers without being influenced by these believers yeah that's a great question so just briefly uh I think you summarized Jesus' ministry, his life well. I would say in addition to your correct observation that he spent time, he was accused of hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, um, because he came to seek and save the lost. The religious leaders were also lost. And so he dealt with them in very strategic ways. They looked different. Lots of love, lots of grace, lots of compassion for those who knew that they were broken Lots of sternness, lots of rebuke, lots of exhortation to do what's right for those who thought they were doing right and they were off. So when you're dealing with people in your circles, in your spheres of friendships or whatever that are maybe in both categories, I would say for the Christian, you got to assess, is this friend group toxic to my relationship and intimacy with Jesus? Am I actually light and salt in the midst of darkness, bringing light and salt in the midst of? Spiritual decay, salt preserves stuff, right? Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. Am I bringing in uh, preservation effect by coming in and, and and leading people away from paths that lead to destruction? If I am, then I think I'm being effective. I don't think you can do it alone. I think you need at least another solid believer that's on mission with you in those types of friendships. It's very rare that I meet one Christian that's like, dude, I'm unstoppable. Typically, if they're if they're awesome, they're not going to talk about themselves that way. Um, but if they are humbly dependent on the Lord, it's rare, but it happens. I would say make sure you're at least two or three strong in spheres of people that reject God. That's a great question. Anything else? Yeah, over here. Uh, sorry. Let's, Hannah, can you grab the mic? and then Let's give it up for my daughter, Hannah, real quick. Thanks, Hannah, for doing this. Um, and if you need to stick around and ask questions further, I know that we're actually done with time right now uh, officially. So we'll take this question, and I think we have a 10-minute in-between break. Um, if you want to stick around so I um I have some people that have like lost people in their life and I tend they tend to come to me and you know I'll try to spread the word of like God and like you know you can go to God whenever you need him and they're like well why did they let that happen in my life why did they let these things happen in my life and I always come to like an end because like I don't know how to answer that so I'm wondering like How can I, instead of just like giving up on that conversation, how can I continue? That's a great question. I'm not going to do it justice in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is that's hitting the problem of evil. If God is good, then why is there evil? Mm -hmm. And so to dive into that, we actually need a, a reformed mindset about creation. Most people think that we're pretty good and we do some bad stuff. The Bible says that we're completely corrupt, that Um, that were conceived, brought forth in iniquity and sin, like the sin problem is far worse than we can imagine. And that's why the death of Jesus uh, is so offensive because most people think, well, I don't need the son of God to die on a cross to shed his blood for my sins. That's offensive. I'm not that bad. If the person's coming at it from that angle, then they don't have a correct understanding of just how off they are from the standard of God. So it's kind of reframing that. That takes time. That takes prayer. That takes love for the person. And I think an amazing opportunity is for you to dive in with them because of your love for them. That's a great question. I don't know the answer. Can we look into it together? I think I'd encourage you that way and talk to your leader. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. Guys, thanks so much for the session. Appreciate your time.